Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, hello, and welcome to Food Network Obsessed. This is the podcast where we dish on all things food with your favorite chefs, food influencers, and Food Network stars. I'm your host, Jamie Sire, and today we have an Iron Chef from Philly on the podcast to talk about his recent return to competing and evolving with the industry while maintaining your culinary voice. But before we get into today's episode, just wanted to let you guys know we will be taking a short break, but we will be back with new episodes on September 29th. Now to today's episode. He is a chef, celebrated restaurateur, James Beard Award winner, and a recent competitor on Bobby's Triple Threat. It's Jose Garces. Jose, welcome to the podcast. I think the last time I saw you, we were doing a virtual cooking event during COVID. How have you been since? Been great. Yeah, just... Having fun cooking, competing, you know, being a dad and yeah, just generally enjoying life. Well, that's what it's all about. And we're definitely going to get into some of your recent competitions. In fact, when you walked on the set of TOC this past season, you had the chefs shaking in their aprons for good reason. <laughs> what was your experience like on TOC? Wow. It was pretty wild. Definitely, <laughs> I would say, you know, definitely a much different format than Iron Chef and one that kind of really levels the playing field. You know, as an Iron Chef, I feel like we had, you know, we had some distinct advantages over the com competitors, whether it was like kitchen familiarity or just, you know, being in the heat of competition on a regular basis. We just, I felt like there was always an edge. In this case, in TOC, it's really just, you know, the randomizer, your your mind, your ability to create on the fly. And it's pretty, you know, it's pretty wild. Would you do it again if asked? Yeah, I would. You know, I felt like I was just kind of, you know, scratching the surface, kind of, you know, d dusting off some rust, getting getting <laughs> into the flow. And yeah, so yeah, I, I would definitely welcome the challenge one more time. Well, as you mentioned, you are just one of a handful of chefs who can call themselves 
an Iron Chef. I got to bug you a little bit in Kitchen Stadium during Iron Chef Showdown. If you could point to one quality you have that kind of has propelled you to that elite level, what would it be? I think, you know, the the thing that I have, I think is just calmness under pressure, just kind of staying cool and realizing that, you know, keeping a clear head and being able to strategize and, and cook on the fly just is, is an advantage. If you're flustered or if you're overwhelmed or if you panic, you, you know, you might not do so well. Where does that calmness come from? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just think maybe upbringing, maybe just being in the restaurant business, you know, it's yeah. a pretty, it's a pretty like can be volatile, can be like stressful. And so, yeah, I think just l- life experiences have, have brought me to this point. Let's talk about your your career in the restaurant business. We'll get we'll get into more competition talk in a little bit, but you are a seasoned veteran both on TV and in restaurants. What are some of the ways that you kind of stay flexible to continue evolving alongside the industry? Well, I think that that is the beauty of the industry and when I when I got into cooking, when I got into hospitality, it's what I realized at an early at an early age from, you know, from the time I entered culinary school and I had not been in the industry, but when I entered school and just kind of like understanding, wow, I can, you know, I can be a, be on a cruise line. I can work in a hotel. I can be a caterer. I can be a restaurant chef. There's just so much I could, you know, do a fast casual concept. There's just so many different avenues to get involved in. And that was almost uh, 30 years ago. So wow. since, since then I've dabbled in just about all of it and have had so much fun and, and really the, the key is ev- evolving and staying, staying current on trends. I try to, you know, I pride myself on, you know, food investigating, traveling, being inspired, and then coming back to my home base and creating. Mm-hmm. And that's, that, that's what keeps it fun and interesting. What, what is inspiring you right now or what's inspired you over the years? Well, usually, you know, a lot of my inspirations do come from travel and I have this, um, I have a brand that's going to be 18, Amada. Uh, it's our Spanish tapas restaurant. We uh, opened it in 05. I recently, this summer, did a uh, I did an, uh, an R&D trip back to Spain along with a, along with a hike. So I did uh, the Camino de Santiago. I did wow. a few, few stages of that in northern Spain and then traveled to San Sebastian in Barcelona. And, you know, the food and culture of Spain is uh, – is I think it's special. It's it's great to be able to uh, be inspired by those th- that country and those regions and bring those food ideas back to Philly. So I opened a, a third version of Amada in the suburbs here of uh, it's at Radnor Wayne, uh, Pennsylvania, and yeah, it's been it's been great. Just a, a lot of fun. I mean, talking about Amada, as you mentioned, it opened in 05. I remember eating there, you know, in 2010 when I was covering the Giants during the NLCS. And it was already like a mainstay and a hot spot. And as you mentioned, you're you're 18 years in now on that particular establishment. To what do you attribute, you know, the, the longevity of your restaurants? I would just say commitment to quality. You know, the business can be tough and it's you have to perform every day. It's a competitive landscape. You know, there's other chefs, other restaurants who are, you know, trying to do their best. And, and so really it's a daily commitment to excellence and, and you have to, you know, you have to kind of be vigilant about that. You know, I think we also, we're also evolving. We're always looking for fresh ingredients. You know, what are the local 
makers producing, you know, what's, what's new and exciting from Spain that we can bring in. And yeah, it's constant. And again, if you love what you do, it doesn't never feels like work. It just feels like, Hey, this is, this is where we need to be. We need to be doing. But your your culinary concepts are are diverse. It's not just, you know, Spanish food. You've got American fare at Village Whiskey and and just have done a, a number of different things over the years. How do you approach developing diverse restaurant concepts while also maintaining your own culinary identity? Yeah, I think that's the that's the beauty of of the business. And if you're a creative person, which I, I consider my, myself creative, it, that it's just it's a great outlet to to do and explore. I've had, you know, the good fortune to do anything from a Japanese izakaya, an Argentinian grill concept, you know, a Cuban diner, you name it. And it's been that part has been so much fun. And and we, you know, the thing is that we often so we archive, we sit on data that that we have and so when there is, you know, part of part of our business is, you know, F&B solutions. So if somebody needs a, a concept, well, hey, we have it in our pocket to like deploy. And that to me has been the fun part of it. It's, it's, it's kind of, it's the, I've been able to develop myself as a chef, as a versatile chef. And again, while still holding true to my Latin roots, you know, that's always going to be there. That's, that was my decision in getting into the, into the business was, you know, I think after I'd cooked for about 10 years, I decided that I really needed to specialize and really, you know, stand out in a category. Looked around the Latin sense landscape and also <laughs> looked at myself and said, "Hey, this this kind of makes sense." So, <laughs> so yeah, just went went down the Latin road and literally, I have my cookbooks called the Latin Road Home because it all, all kind of roads come back to to my Latin roots. And so, yeah, it's been it's been quite quite a journey. Why is that so important to you to have those roots reflected in the food that you cook, no matter what the cuisine is? Yeah, well, you know, my my parents, gosh, they instilled it in me at an early age. They were they had immigrated from Ecuador in the late nineteen sixties. I was born in a call it an Ecuadorian American household. And while we were assimilating and they were assimilating to to Chicago and you know, and just kind of being Americans, we were also, they were also still cooking foods from, from home, from Ecuador. So it was a, it was a nice kind of mix, uh, growing up. And so, yeah, I think that, you know, your childhood memories and things that happen at an early age really impact you throughout your adult years. And yeah, that's, I'm a product of that for sure. Well, what, what are some of those, you know, early memories that you can, that like come to mind when you think about you know, that Ecuadorian cuisine and, oh. and the, the smells and, and those things that, that you remember from, from childhood? Yeah. I mean, my mom and both my grandma were, were great cooks. They were in the kitchen a lot. And so some early memories might be uh, arepas, the white corn mm. cakes filled with cheese. Those, I, you know, they made for me. I made them for them. I made them for my kids. We still make them every day as a breakfast staple. So that that's one that the traditions have continued. Outside of that, like classic, like empanadas, mm-hmm. ceviches. My dad was like loved the grill, so he was always concocting like crazy marinades to put on <laughs> put on steaks and chicken. He actually has one that he still like swears by. He's like you know he if you put papaya 
into a marinade, into particularly like a beef marinade, it there's something the enzymes and the papaya really break it down and, and make oh, it wow. tender. And so, you know, th- those were those were my early lessons yeah. growing up. I was like, okay, <laughs> yeah. Do you use the papaya in any of your marinades now? I do, I do. From time to time, uh, it does it does make an appearance, and mostly for like events or special menu items. But yeah, and and I'll tell you what, it works. It really does. It like <laughs> so. Yeah, if you're looking for a tender cut of beef on the grill use in papaya. All right. I love that. I'm going to try that. I mean, would you say your family then was kind of the biggest influence on shaping your culinary style or was there somebody else along the way? Well, I think that the early food memories were very uh, pleasant and, you know, warm and obviously, you know, comforting. Later on, I, you know, I, when I got to New York, so I, I'd gone to cooking school and it's funny enough, I went to cooking school because honestly, I just needed a job. I was went to get a trade. <laughs> I went to get, you know, some, a vocation trade. I'm like, you know what, Jose, you got to start like earning here. <laughs> <laughs> and so it wasn't until cooking school that I discovered that I actually had talent in the kitchen. It was, you know, and, and competition actually started then. So my first, first like semester, first block, what we called it at, I went to Kendall College in Chicago. Right away, you know, we were given trays of ingredients and mise en place and, you know, hey guys, you know, make Dover sole. And, and so everyone's rushing, everyone's filleting their fish and making their sauce. And, and here I am, like, I'm, you know, kind of outperforming my classmates and I'm like, (laughs) oh, hey, I'm done faster. My food looks better. Oh, this is, this is great. So, (laughs) so that, you know, that discovery was, was pretty tremendous for me because then, you know, I realized, whoa, again, there's a lot of opportunity in the industry and I think I've got some talent. So from there, I, I cooked in Spain as just kind of a European experience. I wanted to get that under my belt because I was French classically trained at school. Cooked in New York. I met a chef, mentor, a, friend of, a good friend of mine. His name is Doug Rodriguez. At the time, he was the godfather of Nuevo Latino cuisine is what his, his term was. And so, <laughs> so I got, gained a lot of influence from him just on the food side of things. He actually, he brought me to Philly to work with the restaurateur, Steve Starr. And Steve was a great businessman and a really nice organization that he was growing. So during that period, when I worked with Stephen and Douglas, it was about a four or five year stretch. I had the best of both worlds. I had a great culinary mentor and a great business mind that was teaching me that side of the the whole equation. And yeah, that really, you know, that really formed quite a bit for me and my career going forward. When you talk about that moment of realization, like, I, you know, I have something here, I can do this, I'm good at this, you know, what switched in your brain, you know, from just like enjoying and appreciating food, and maybe, maybe it's going to be a job for you to like, I'm going to be top of my, you know, profession in this world. Yeah. You know, it's funny, Jamie. I think you guys have the title right, right? Obsessed. I just, <laughs> I, I just became obsessed with food and I became, it, it was like consuming me. I couldn't stop thinking about it. And once I, once I got going, I'm like, you know, why am I, you know, dreaming of lamb chops when I'm going to bed? <laughs> you know, like what is going on here? So that, you know, something definitely clicked. And then, for me, I was, I was definitely, I was motivated to, you know, I was motivated by lifestyle. Like, you know, I had student loans to pay and I was like, okay, I'm also going to like, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to learn the best that I can. I'm going to, you know, 
live, live a good life, you know? And so, and as I got into the field, it's funny, I started realizing that, you know, it's a lot of hard work. There's it's a lot of physical work. It's pretty, you know, long hours, long hours on your feet. And, and, and then, you know, really once I got into that part of my career and just learning how to become a chef, I started at that point is when I really started to realize, okay, I need a strategy on how to, you know, be intact in, in five years. You know, still, <laughs> and, and yeah, and, and still do what I, what I love to do. And, and so, yeah, there was, there was a whole period of time when, when that kind of thinking and strategy was happening as well. And, and as you're kind of moving from place to place, Chicago to New York, and then eventually landing in Philly, what about Philadelphia just felt like home to you? Why have you stayed there for so long? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's a special place here. What can I tell you? So I got to Philly, you know, after cooking in New York almost five years. And I looked around the New York landscape and there was all these stalwarts, chefs that, you know, honestly are still there holding it down. Whether, <laughs> you know, you talk about like Jean-Georges, Danielle, quite a few like culinary legends that were just in New York and like, and, and, and also, you know, honestly, to open your own business. And, you know, I was in a very, like, very, and that was the aspiration I had. I'm like, wow, it's going to be tough to do this in New York. And so got the opportunity to come to Philly. And, and it was very fortuitous. It wasn't, Philadelphia was not on my radar. Uh, but once I had worked here for a few years and developed a following and developed some loyalty around the community, just liked my cooking. I had a two restaurants with Stephen and Douglas, Alma de Cuba and Elvez. So I spent almost five years cooking in those spots. And when it became time to open my own place, I did consider going back to New York or Chicago or even Miami, but ultimately found a, found a location here in Philly that is Amada. And yeah, like I said, 18 years later, it's still, still humming, doing. And Philly's also, you know, I, I raised my children here. I have a 20, 20 year old and a 16 year old. It's wow. been a great place, um, great community of people to to do that. And yeah, I mean, we're like most major cities, we're having a moment right now, but I'm hopeful that, yeah, the, the cities, and all the cities kind of pull through in a, in a better way coming up here. Yeah. H how would you describe, you know, the culinary community there as a whole? Like, is it very welcoming? Is it a family? Is it, you know, what, what, how would you describe it? Uh, well, you know, it's funny because because I'm old and I've been here a long time. <laughs> you know, it's one of these things like it, it, I, I would say I'm an anomaly in many ways in, in, in our industry and especially in one town. Almost 23 years have had like several different iterations. And get, you spoke to it earlier. You have to keep reinventing yourself to stay current. But I've seen being here that long, I've kind of seen all the waves and patterns of chefs and culinary trends and neighborhood builds. I would say that the the talent that's here in Philly is, is really high. There's a, there's a lot of good chefs that are, are opening up and have, have, have places here in different pockets, different neighborhoods. And, you know, Philly makes it easy, easier, easy to do business. So you do, you do attract a lot of talent down here, but it's, it's growing. It continues to grow. And, and I would say, boy, pre pandemic, I remember thinking, looking up at the end of 2019 and saying, 
wow, this, like the landscape is so competitive right now. Like I can't believe <laughs> how many people are opening. How, I mean, there's only so much market share, but it's like, hey, it's hot. People were coming to town to eat and have those culinary experiences. So I think on the backside of COVID and we're st- still, even though, you know, it's been, it feels like it's been done for a, for a minute here. We're still kind of, I mean, as a whole, the industry is still, I would say, still in recovery mode, especially in Philly. Yeah. Do you do you feel like, though, it's it's like on the rise, it's on the up and up, it's it's getting sort of getting back to those pre-pandemic levels? Yeah. I mean, I think a few dynamics need to occur. I think, you know, whether folks want to believe it or not, you know, the office, office workers are still not back fully. Mm-hmm. They're still, I think it's still probably at like, you know, 40 or 50%. And so that's a big, that is a big impact on, on cities, you know, whether it's lunch, happy mm-hmm. hour events, it's, you know, 20, 25% of the business. So that needs to continue to improve or, or not, or not, or we'll just say, Hey, we're, this is the new level. This is, this is where we're resetting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I think as a whole, yeah, there just, there still needs to be, there's some like civic duties and responsibilities that need to happen from a, like just crime and safety perspective, mm-hmm. just make everyone feel, feel like, Hey, you know, if I live in the burbs, come, come into town on Friday and Saturday, feels like a night out mm-hmm. and they need to feel safe about it. And so that, that has, will continue to improve hopefully. And, and when those two dynamics kind of settle down, then I think we'll see things really come back in a big way. Well, speaking of which, you're certainly doing your part as well. You started the Garces uh, Foundation that provides services and education for Philadelphia's most underserved uh, populations. What has that work meant to you and your your career, your legacy? Uh, that's that's been very very gratifying work. You know, this community it's you know it's mostly restaurant workers, construction workers, folks, there's a few pockets of Philly where they just don't have access to health benefits. Or we also, one of our programs is an EREL program, which is just a job, a literacy program through job training. And so, you know, all that work, it just, it, it's, I've, you know, you look around, it feels like necessary. Like if people, people need help. And mm-hmm. so I think it's been, you know, really gratifying. We ha- We have a small board, a pretty big budget. And it's, you know, every year it's okay. How do we, how do we get there? But, you know, we're 11 years into it. Yes. You know, I think I'm hopeful that we can take our programs nationally at one point. That's kind of the the goal. That'd be amazing. What, what would you tell, you know, young, fresh faced Jose, who was right out of culinary school back in the late nineties about (laughs) uh, what was in store for him? Oh, wow. I, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's you know what Jamie nobody's ever asked me that question it's a good one because because <laughs> I might have to sit down with young Jose and have like a deep conversation <laughs> about a lot of things so yeah I mean <laughs> you got me you got me on that one I, I it's it, you know I think it would be a very heartfelt sincere maybe over like you know a big dinner and maybe maybe a bottle of wine or two I don't know <laughs> And, I think a just, couple at least. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think what I would tell, what I would tell young Jose is to, you know, be mindful and present, be more aware, be more mm-hmm. conscious of your actions and what you do and, you know, your words, just more, more just kind of more on the mindfulness things. Cause I, when I think about my early years, like my twenties and even thirties, 
I was actually, it's funny. I was thinking about it. I was just like walking around unconscious, just like doing, I'm not really. <laughs> not a <laughs> so, care in the world. <laughs> yeah. I think I'd start there and then, and then get into the other details with, with a, with a finer, <laughs> with a finer uh, tooth comb uh, later on. When we come back, Jose gives his tips for cooking competitively and later reveals if he'd ever rematch Bobby Flay. So stick around. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Well, I, I'm sure he wouldn't have believed you or imagined that uh, he would be a celebrated competitor on so many Food Network shows. We touched on TOC and Iron Chef, also Guy's Grocery Games and the latest Bobby's Triple Threat. What what got you into competition in the first place? Wow. Well, I'm, I was an athlete growing up. I was a football player and a rest, wrestler, and I did that you know, throughout my formative years, and I don't know. There's something about it. And, and, you know, it just kind of, it carries over into cooking, right? Like mm -hmm. from, from the get go, we, we spoke earlier about like culinary school and like, you know, the first, first day of class or second day of class, we're asked to like produce something or, you know, and, and it, all of a sudden it's like, we're running around the kitchen. Everyone's trying to do their best. And, and then you get into the business world and it becomes competitive. Mm -hmm. You know, who's top us are better than the other, who's Latin food. And it, it just, and it just continues. And I think it's, I think it's societal. I think it's cultural, but at the core, the core, I just, 
I love to compete. I'm a competitor. It's, 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 <laughs> and, and, and it's great. And, and it's so much fun to do it, doing it on a platform or, you know, kind of in cooking, you know, it's, it's fun to compete in other things, but as it relates to like my craft and what I do, it just, it, it clicks right in for me. Yeah. And I, I think the the newest, you know, iteration of these competition shows with Bobby's Triple Threat is is super interesting to me just because it is like this gauntlet that you kind of have to go through to get to the the end of the show, essentially. What was it like going up against, you know, Bobby's culinary titans on Triple Threat? And who who made you the most nervous? Well, Jamie, you know, the way I look at it is I made them the most nervous. Yeah, there but. you go. Exactly. That's, that's why you're so <laughs> yeah. good. That's the mindset yeah. you you bring into it, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, I think they all had their own different styles, which I appreciate. And, you know, at the end of the day, cooking competitions and, and kind of the way they've developed formatting, it's just, I mean, there's just a lot of creativity going on right now in terms of like, what kind of positions can we put these chefs in and and... <laughs> <laughs> and let's see if they can get their way out of it. And so it does feel like there is a lot of like, there's more like twists and turns and a little more like, you know, kind of like just strategy that needs to be involved. You know, the, the Titans, they were, they were great. They were great to compete against. And, you know, I think they all have their own unique styles. So I think the, the thing to do though, is when you're cooking competitively is just stick to your, don't try to, don't try to match because you'll, you'll probably lose, you'll probably lose <laughs> points in that. And that, so I always, my strategy is, you know, do my food the best that I can do it. And, and yeah, hope for a good outcome. Do you, do you tend to play it safe and just like, like you say, like cook what you like know and love, or do you, do you take those calculated risks when you're under pressure like that? I think that it's usually ingredient or task based where you might have to take a more calculated risk. You know, and here's the thing about, I would say competition is sometimes it's about whose dish is the most creative and who's the best, right? Who, who really went outside and really executed the right way. Sometimes the challenge is so hard. It's about who doesn't, who, who makes the least amount of mistakes, right? <laughs> True. So it's, so if you're in a, if you're in a battle where both chefs are kind of struggling to figure out like, okay, what is then? And that's hard. That's unknown to the one or the other chefs. But if you have that, then you're just really the safe play is okay. You know, if you have like, let's say if you have like a really like random odd ingredient that, you know, both chefs are not in their wheelhouse, then yeah, you just want to apply the cooking techniques that you feel you can execute on. And on that note, I mean, how how do you weave kind of like what we talked about earlier, your Ecuadorian roots, those influences, you know, from your heritage into your dishes? And, and why is that important in a, you know, a competition like that? Well, I think the thing that I can bring is, is that Latin heritage, Latin mm -hmm. kind of inspirations. And I find that a lot of the competitors aren't in that category. So right away, it helps me stand out a little bit from a flavor profile. Mm -hmm. And what I'll do, though, is I may throw in some like Asian inspirations or I may throw some European inspirations to it and kind of do a hybrid mix of the two. That, that's really representative of my cooking style is mm -hmm. since I was French classically trained, I have that kind of like those roots are like deep rooted. And then the layers of inspirations come on top of that. And so 
that's kind of, you know, that, that's my, that's my secret guys. <laughs> Don't tell anybody else. No. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> the Titans, if you're listening, um, if, if you could, if you could create one dish, you know, without like any, any other outside like rules or, or stipulations that, that really tells your story as a chef, what would that dish be? Oh, that's a good one. And, you know, I think for me, what's deep rooted is, you know, I love Spanish paellas. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I've, I've made some on cooking competitions. I've made some for my friends, family, I make them in the restaurants. I just think there's something special about you know, one, the rice, the vehicle that, that carries all the ingredients. I like mm-hmm. that it's also versatile. It has a lot of versatility in terms of, you know, how you feel. And it has a lot of deep rooted flavor in the stock or broth that you cook the rice in. And I just think it's also a bit of a melting pot. There's, mm-hmm. you know, you can have, you know, seafood, beef, veggies, bread, starches, aiolis. It just has a, a lot of different textures. And so, yeah, I would say that kind of represents me pretty, pretty well. I, I think so. I think that makes a lot of sense. You know, speaking of triple threat, Bobby, Bobby's a big paella guy as well. And I, I know you've competed against him on Iron Chef, also on Beat Bobby Flay. Would there ever be a, another rematch in the works? Between you I two, would, I would love to rematch him in Battle Paella because we we did that on on Beat Bobby Flay, and he didn't actually make a paella. He made a risotto and then plated uh, it. I, I made a paella. They they got me like my saccharat, which was you know I, I literally just had to like let the rice burn it for a second. <laughs> the <bottom. laughs> just so, to get it crispy. <laughs> just to get it crispy. So yeah, I would challenge Bobby at b- Battle Paella one more time. All right, Bobby, if you're listening, um, <laughs> Jose is uh, putting you on the spot. Paella, let's put it down <laughs> on the books. This has been so fun, you know, catching up with you and, and chatting. We're going to finish things off with a little rapid fire. And then we have one final question that we ask everybody here on the podcast. Sounds good. Uh, all right, rapid fire round. You get to pick one thing from your spice cabinet. What is it? Smoked paprika. Ooh, good one. You have an idea for a new restaurant. What is the first thing you do? Travel, travel to uh, a destination, an, an, an inspiration destination. All right. If I weren't a chef, I'd be blank. What? I'd be a lobster fisherman. <laughs> I love that. Where? Any, anywhere uh, in particular? Off the coast of Maine. Yeah, of course. That's that's where you got to go might, for that. I might be heading there anyway, guys, at some point. We'll, see. <laughs> <laughs> well, we love that. We love Maine. Your favorite day off thing to do in Philly? Favorite day off thing to do is, um, people may not know this, I do enjoy the game of golf. So four hours outside, swinging the club mindlessly feels pretty good to me. What, what's your handicap? My handicap, I'm like a 19. Okay. Yeah, right. still, still working, work in progress, but yeah, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about my game this year. So okay. things, are, things are progressing. All right. <laughs> best place to get a cheesesteak in Philly? Well, the best place to get a cheesesteak in about one month is going to be at the Wells Fargo, oh. stadium, Wells Fargo Stadium, because I have a stand there called Garces Eats. Okay. And at Garces Eats, I was challenged to create elevated stadium food. Jose, give us a menu with your best at elevated stadium food, a menu that rotates. So last week I made a Wagyu beef cheesesteak with caramelized onions, truffle 
provolone fondue. You got to you got to go get it there. Wow, yeah. Yeah, that sounds there. like a flavor bomb. I love Boom. that. Boom, yes. Uh, and also, you know, catch a game while you're at it. So that's catch a, a game. perfect perfect combo. <laughs> if you could create your own ice cream flavor, what would it be? Well, I am a traditionalist. I just I love a good strawberry ice cream, and but you know, local maybe unpasteurized. I'm not sure. Like the milk needs to be creamy. If you have high quality milk, obviously you're going to get a better, better quality ice cream, fresh strawberries, really, you know, that's the strawberry ice cream I want. Rich, creamy with nice pops of fresh fruit. Okay. That sounds super refreshing. The most important career lesson that you've learned. Oh, most important career lesson. Don't get in front of your skis. You know, yeah don't put you know don't put the cart before the horse all these cliches just kind of you know i think you know for me it really with success breeds opportunity but not all that opportunity is always good so you have to you know kind of uh, take your time and really weigh and measure any decisions going forward all right i like that All right. Our last question is not rapid fire. You can take as long as you want on this one. And it's a very simple question, but what would be on the menu for your perfect food day? So we're talking like take us through breakfast, lunch, dinner, dessert. If you're a dessert guy, there's no rules. So you can travel, time travel, spend as much money as you want. Anybody can cook these meals alive or dead. There's no rules. It's your day. Oh, wow, Jamie. Wow. You're 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 going there. Yeah. 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 So to me, you know, recently in, in terms of, you know, health, I've been doing some intermittent fasting okay. and that feels good for me. That feel, So, so I, I eat on an eight hour window from 11 to seven these days. And that okay. again, for my body, it's been great. So my first meal usually starts at noon, which is great, which is flexible. And it could either be breakfast or there lunch, you go. Right? <laughs> right. So my ultimate breakfast is honestly, to me, I just love like a like a three egg, smoked sausage, smoked bacon, hash browns. Honestly, I'm pretty happy with that. that I'm, I'm <laughs> I mean, simple. it sounds perfect. <laughs> yeah, right. And then, so the mornings usually is like some sort of exercise walk, a hike, a yoga, whatever. So that 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 I start my day, and then usually no snacks lately. So I'm again, I'm going in real time here. You know, my favorite dinner favorite like kind of like in a in a health oriented way is just great sushi like amazing you know and so i would do gosh i mean there's a place called qb qb sushi in tokyo where i had one of my most memorable sushi counter experiences and that to me is is the cleanest it's the most rich and satisfying experience you could have when when a sushi chef is you know pulling the rice out and it's nice and warm it's got the vinegar and you've got the highest quality fish going right on top. I don't need I don't need much else. That that <laughs> like does it for me. Guilty pleasure. So if I'm if I'm breaking my fast, I'm having a late night, I might have some pizza at okay. the end. <laughs> yeah. So that, you know, I'm a Chicago guy. I actually really I really like tavern style pizza. So there's a place in Chicago called Vito and Nick's. And heard. that might be that might be the like late night spot. And just okay. have like, and so I've have, yeah. What kind of Breakfast. pizza? I mean, like what kind of uh, toppings? It's a, uh, for me, uh, I'm a sauce, Italian sausage, hand ripped sausage and mushroom guy. I get both of those things. I'm, I'm pretty good. And I've actually, I'm, you know, 
I've been anti pepperoni lately. Lately, really? I'm just, I, I feel like every pizza is now when you order pepperoni, it's like, it's all pepperoni. It's like the whole <laughs> thing. It's like, guys, I want to, I want to be able to taste the sauce, the cheese, you know? So anyway, that's where I'm at with pies. All right. Well, it sounds like a perfect food day, mostly clean food day as well, but no, it sounds delicious. And once again, thank you so much for taking the time. Awesome, Jamie. Thank you for having me. It's so much fun. You can catch Jose on the latest episode of Bobby's Triple Threat on Tuesday, September 12th at 9 p.m. Eastern. Make sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a thing. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review. We love it when you do that. That's all for now. We'll catch you foodies after a short break. Once again, we'll be back with new episodes September 29th. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.